minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. It's a new era in D.C. sports, not for the baseball team, of course, as we're still waiting for this lockout to end so spring training can begin. But for another team in town, it's a brand new era. Welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast, everybody. Bobby Blanco and Amy Jennings coming at you live from the Mass and Web studio. Hopefully you're tuning in on live on our Facebook page or our YouTube channel. And if not, you're catching us after the fact on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all that jazz. Amy, it's dark, gloomy Thursday afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, given the, the little bit of a headache. Maybe yeah. it's the rain. You know, people like yeah. their joints hurt or something when it gets cold. Maybe that's, you know, what it is. But other than that, I'm doing doing pretty good. I was excited that we finally got a name reveal yesterday. It was a little anticlimactic, if you will, because we've been waiting for so long. But now we have a name. We can move forward and hopefully win. If you will. <laughs> I, I do. It was very anticlimactic. The team itself basically told us the name over a month ago right. um, with a video leak that they did not mean to put out. But, you know, we have a name. It's no longer the... You and I are both fans of the team as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I was thinking about it this morning, actually. They have been the Washington... They had been the Washington football team for as long as you and I have been doing the podcast together. Since That's true. Because they changed it in twenty summer 2020 and you and I started, once the season started, uh, in late July 2020. Yeah. So they have been officially the Washington football team uh, for as long That's as we've been doing the podcast actually, to together. Believe. Yeah, for almost two years, 19 months now. And this is our first podcast where we have the Washington Commanders. Commanders. Fine name, whatever. I was never too concerned about the name, but we were always going to either, people were going to love or hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have, the, we have, I just really wanted a plural noun, and we got that. The only problem is, and Mark Zuckerman pointed this out on his uh, article yesterday on MySonSports.com, you can't really shorten Commanders like you can... Nationals to Nats, Orioles right. to O's, Athletics to A's, Capitals to Caps, Wizards to Wiz. Like, there's no, everyone's been making the commies joke. I'm already sick of that. Yeah, that's um, got to so go. It's, not, it's been barely 24 hours. Um, <laughs> Enders, Anders, I don't yeah, know. There's Manders. no real clean way to shorten it, which is, I guess, when it comes to the name, I have a lot of issues with the, the whole process of how we got to the name. But with the name itself, my only issue is that you can't really shorten it. Yeah, that's... I don't love that, but you know, I guess it just takes some getting used to, and we're just yeah. gonna we're gonna have to say the whole name. I guess it is what it is. Which which jersey was your favorite? I went back and forth a lot. I thought the white was the cleanest when I first looked at it, mm-hmm. and then now the white is my least favorite. Uh, it looks like for baseball fans out there, it looks like the old Diamondbacks jerseys yeah, that had like you the pattern. That out on Twitter, and I, I was did. Like, it does. It looks like a. <laughs> Bad Diamondbacks throwback mixed with an FSU knockout mixed with an Arizona State knock knockoff. It just looks bad. Yeah. I, the my biggest issue with the jerseys actually my favorite's black one to answer your question. Just get rid of the W on the front of the helmet. Oh, that. <laughs> um, put it on like the, put the they had the DC flag on the back of that helmet. Switch that. Put that on the bumper on the face mask, yeah, and then like put that. the W on the back of the helmet. Just yeah, whoosh, I like that better. And then that'd be a lot cleaner. But the the Diamondbacks jersey. That the commanders are now going to be rocking. <laughs> What's with the snakeskin pattern and the numbers, and why that burgundy looks yeah. pink? It does. It looks or like my dad more pointed that out. Red. It looks like, like a bright red. Yeah, it's not their color. And there's no gold. The only gold is on the Nike swoosh on the shoulders. Yeah. Where's the gold? I thought that was odd. That was like the biggest like call to the old Washington football team white jerseys is that it was white with bright gold. Like you could see clearly a, right. like outlining the numbers and everything. And then I know people were talking about, you know, if they do red wolves or red um, hogs or something like yeah. that, well, they're what well, colors burgundy, but then I'm like, well, it's red on the Jersey anyway. So yeah. I don't really, there's know. like 50 shades of red, right. not to get like that kind of reference, but like <laughs> I, I was telling uh, our producer, uh, uh, Brenda Mortensen and Paul Mancano before we got in today, we got, we went on the air. It's like, there's like so many different colors of red. The burgundy on the jackets don't match the burgundy on the jerseys, which don't match the burgundy on the helmets, which don't match the burgundy on the logo in the background. It yeah, does, there's like five different shades of burgundy, which don't match the burgundy on the red jersey. So it's just like a whole, I don't know. I, I feel like they're going to make some tweaks, hopefully before the season starts, if not within a couple of years. I was looking today and it looks like the burgundy's the only jersey that's out right now for like sale for sale yeah. so maybe that is the case and maybe before those go up for sale they'll make tweaks probably not because they already 
revealed them or released them, but who knows? But, but that goes back to my point where like the whole process, like yeah, they had 19 months and they couldn't yeah. and, like now I mean, we're going to have to take a couple steps back to read this. So I don't know. We don't have to get into it. I know there's yeah. a lot of fans out there who don't clearly care. But Baseball we fans. We have, we have a, a name. We don't really care about that. Makes me, that makes me think of, cause Mark Zuckerman had an interesting like kind of recap of how the nationals name came to be. I was 12 years old when the nationals name was announced. The difference here being is that the nationals, the Washington football team had 19 months to do this rebrand. Mm-hmm. The Nationals, I think Mark points out, had like six months, like, like a half right. a year, if not shorter. And they were still owned by Major League Baseball at the time. There was no owner in D.C. yet. Um, and the final three names to come down were the Nationals, the Expo, the Senators, and the Grays. The Expos was definitely out That's of it. Right. The Senators and the Grays. Senators, obviously, a callback to the old Washington team um, that the mayor at the time did not want to because D.C. doesn't have a representative in the House of Congress. So... He didn't think mm-hmm. that was appropriate. I agree. Um, and then the Grays technically weren't a Washington team. They played uh, a team from uh, the, of the old Negro League, but they played in Pittsburgh. They're from Pittsburgh technically, but they played a lot of games at Griffith Stadium in D.C. So that was kind of a callback to them, and they settled on Nationals as kind of a happy mm-hmm. medium. Do you even think about the name Nationals no. anymore? And that's what, in Mark's article, what I think you tweeted out, just the, that one quote, which yeah. basically, when they won the World Series, you weren't thinking about their name or how they got their name. You were thinking about winning. So yeah. winning is the cure-all. Yes. So that's what we have to get to um, in D.C. with football. Yeah, I, I think there was a, such a big buildup to this football name. And there wasn't that with the Nationals name. So that's why you are you have so many people so vocal about whether or not they like it. That's a good point. And with the Nationals one, like it would just happen like that. So people just like, okay, let's yeah. go with it. I don't remember people being this upset about the Nats, the Nationals. Maybe that's the one nitpick. It was like, well, people can call us the Nats. That's an annoying fly. Um, <laughs> we, we've gotten past that, obviously. Um, and like you said, winning cures all. Winning a World Series, call us the Nats all, mm-hmm. all you want. We still have... You know, that ring, that championship trophy hanging in the, right. in, the in the stadium. So winning cures all. I just thought that was kind of interesting. It's, cool, it's fun to go back and look at the Nationals team name because this is still the newest New, franchise yeah. um, in the D.C. area. It's still the baby of the major four spe- team sports, even going as far as, you know, the D.C. United, too. So that's pretty uh, interesting to go back on. Well, let's get back into baseball and stick with baseball for the rest of the <laughs> podcast. As we know, that's what everyone here has come into. Unfortunately, no updates on the lockout, so we won't even bother touching on that. Spring training, of course, is supposed to start in a couple of weeks. Doesn't look like that's going to happen, but we will be here no matter what, baseball or not, season starting or not, covering baseball, the Nationals. That's we'll have right. the content for you, so be sure to stick with the Mass and All Access podcast and Mass and All Access throughout the course of the year because uh, whether or not they're playing, we'll be potting. Um, today's episode comes from an idea by our very own Amy Jennings. We're going to be talking about pitching prospects and projecting their debuts. How many will we possibly see this year? Um, when are some of the younger guys projected to reach the major league level in a couple of years? Um, we, we know that this is an interesting time for the Nationals, especially with all the focus on the minor league players. Pitching has always been the focal point of Mike Rizzo run franchise organization. So it's very important to him probably to fans as well and to this team that they get their pitching prospects up in a quick fashion and develop them mm-hmm. properly. We've seen them do it with Steven Strasburg. We've seen them do it. Um, he's main, he's the main guy. I mean, Jordan Zimmerman was, was a, a farmhand for a long time, but you know, we know how his career ended. So it's been done before. It's very important that they get this done now properly more than ever, I would say. Yeah, exactly. Last week we talked about Max Scherzer and his big contract in D.C. And this week we're going to go over the potential Max Scherzers. Now that they're going through a rebuild, a lot of the focus is on the pitchers because there's so many pitchers in this top 30 prospect list, 14 in the top 30. So they want to develop pitching within. They've been drafting pitchers. They draft pitchers early. That's their thing. And so focusing the shift now kind of to focusing on the prospects, but pitchers specifically is what we're going to be talking about a lot. So we're going to go through them today, kind of pro- projecting their debuts and um, kind of what they could bring to this Nationals 
system. We'll be focusing mostly on the guys within the ranking of the top 30 of mm -hmm. Nationals prospects. So a quick rundown of that. There are 14 pitchers in the top 30, not including Seth Romero or Johanna Don, who have both made their major league debuts. So we're not going to be counting those guys because we're talking about guys who have yet to make their debuts and when we will see them come up. Um, obviously, Seth Romero has his own issues. It's still not has not been dealt with. Johanna Don make a quick debut last year at the end of the season, but nonetheless made it. So we're not going to really consider him for this mm -hmm. exercise. We'll obviously talk more about him as we get closer to the start of spring training and then the start of the regular season. There are five pitchers in the top 10. Um, and of the pitchers in the top 30, there are nine right-handers and five left-handers. Get right into it. Let's start with the obvious one. A former first-round pick, the number one overall prospect in the entire system, Cade Cavalli, right-hander out of Oklahoma, flew up the farm system last year in his first season as a professional, uh, not counting the 2020 season when he spent the majority of the summer at the alternate training site in Fredericksburg. Um, Cavalli, I mean, let's let's just be honest and blunt about it. He's expected to make his debut sometime this year. Mm -hmm, that's right. I mean, he flew through the system. He struggled in AAA when he got there a little bit, but before that, he found a whole lot of success um, in high single A with Wilmington. He went 3-1 and one with an ERA of 177. So, and those, he made seven starts there. Quickly moved up to Harrisburg. He went 3-2 and two there. Um, 279 ERA and 11 starts. And then with Rochester, that's when he ran into, ran into some trouble, some command issues, some sequencing issues. He went 1-5 and five there, ERA over 7 in his six starts. So I think it'll be interesting to see how he starts out the year, most likely starting in AAA. And I think if he gets off to a really good start, we're going to see Kate Cavalli up in this rotation by the All-Star break. His fastball is, is the main weapon in that arsenal in resting in the mid-90s, topping out at 99, I think he even hit triple digits at some point last mm -hmm. year. And that's where you get a lot of those strikeouts you saw in uh, high single A and double A right there, right? He saw, got over 150 strikeouts combined. At the end of the year, he was one of um, the leaders in strikeouts in all of minor league baseball. Uh, he only recorded 24 in uh, his six starts at AAA Rochester, but still, you know, that you, that's where you see where he needs to improve, right? Because that fastball, while it's really good at the lower levels, isn't going to work every single time mm -hmm. against the better hitters. Um, he's been working really hard on that curveball. Remember, we talked to him about a couple of times over the past couple of years about how he really likes it to go from 12 to 6. He gets a lot of movement with that curveball in the low to mid 80s with that with it. And then he's also been trying to work on a slider and a cutter and an upper 80s change up it's all getting those four pitches as a starter you know you need four pitches because you're not gonna be able to get through multiple innings mm -hmm. just working on one or two and he really needs to work on his command he walked a lot of guys especially as we saw him rise in the ranks um i think that that's going to be the main focal point for him once spring training starts once his season starts uh whether it's starting at double a or triple a he's going to need to work on utilizing all four of those pitchers so that he can play off the fastball and, and really mm -hmm. utilize because that's his best weapon. Yeah, exactly. And I think the best thing about his 2021 season is that he threw 125 innings across all of those levels. And he's one of the many guys on this this prospect list, specifically pitchers, that comes from an injury history. He, yeah. had, he had back issues in college. He had arm issues in college. So to see him have a true, full, healthy season is good. So if he goes to AAA, he, he works on his command. That fastball is where it needs to be. The curveball is where it needs to be. He's going to see good results as long as he stays healthy. But staying healthy, just like the rest of these guys, is key. And keep in mind, he was also a two-way player at Oklahoma up until, right. was it a sophomore year or his junior year when he went pitching full-time? So he's only been a full-time pitcher for three years, three or four years right now. Mm -hmm. So that's going to happen. And, and we see this a lot with young pitchers, especially given that he didn't have a 2020 season. You know, he was just basically pitching in simulated games at Fredericksburg all of summer 2020. So last year, it's, it's pretty amazing. We talked about this before how fast he flew up the rankings for a guy that one wasn't a full-time pitcher in college to begin his college career and two didn't have a 2020 mm -hmm. season to really get his feet wet in professional baseball just the fact that he made triple a the fact that the nationals trusted him to just you know throw him in the deep end and see if he could sink or swim he said after the season as when i talked to him for the pod you know he's just learning a lot taking every single day successes with the failures he's got to build right six four two thirty 
you know, he is going to fill out nicely, and he's the prototypical pitcher that Mike Rizzo looks for. This is why he drafted him. That's why they felt lucky that Cavalli fell to them in that draft uh, late in that first round. So that's just the, mm-hmm. what comes with being developed as a pitcher. Command and location, it will get there eventually. question is whether how quickly we'll see him, I think, this year. I, at the very latest, we'll see him in the second half of the season. Can he make enough of a push at – Double A or, or eventually Rochester in the first couple months of the season to make an appearance in Washington earlier than that. Yeah, and I mean, he clearly has the best stuff in this system, and there's really no need to rush him. Right, um, that's the other thing. Yeah, because you're, you're going through a rebuild. You, you don't have to, to rush his, his development, um, and especially since he has injury history, A, and was a two-way player in college, and he's still getting in the groove of things in professional baseball. No need to rush him. His debut date will probably be, well, it will be contingent on how he starts the season. Yeah. Um, but there's no need to rush him, and that's why I don't think we'll see him as early as we would in other years. Yeah, I mean, the the – your point on be him, like, there's no need to rush him. That's a that's a major factor too that we need to touch on too because we talked about this before. This is not a typical national season, right? Mm-hmm. The expectations have drastically changed. We've talked about that. So when you have a top prospect like Cavalli, who, if everything goes according to plan, he stays healthy, he continues his development at the pace he has. You know, he had started it last year. Is it worth him bringing him up earlier in the season? I mean, if the Nationals are which most people expect pretty much, I don't want to say you're out of it in June, but you know what I mean? Like they're in the lower half of the standings. Do you just bring them up and say, hey, pitch in the major leagues for the second half of the season? Or do you just wait until the last end of the season? That's That kind of is a broader question, actually, now that I think about it. And it kind of ties into the new CBA and mm-hmm. how service time is going to play a factor because they might want to, you know, they might want to play with that and, and, and be careful with that. But... You know, in a season that you're not going to be competitive in, are you going to hold him back just for the sake of holding him back? Or are you going to let him, like I said earlier, sink or swim in the major leagues? That's a good point because I think the focus will be on what's best for Cavalli. As far as his development, his service time, I think it will be more dependent on that and less dependent on what's going on with the team because they're going through a rebuild they're not going to be competitive um, in, in all reality. So it's going to be, there's years, you know, where you're a little bit, you're always focused on the development of your best, best prospects, but yeah. there, there's more focus on the team and their success and how he can contribute to that. But in a year like this, it might be more on where Cavalli's at and doing the best thing for his career and where he fits into this organization. The other thing too is keep in mind is, you know, where is there going to be a spot open for him? He's a starter. They're not going to bring him up to pitch out of the bullpen right you're gonna ideally have strasburg corbin and then some combination of eric fetty again joe ross if he's healthy and not all signs point that he should be mm-hmm. uh Espino, and then there's a handful of other guys that could give you innings out of as a starter role so there are some other players on, currently on the 40 man that he would have to jump there aren't any other prospects he has to jump mm-hmm. he's the number one guy right so but there are guys that are already on the major league roster that would either have to God forbid, go down or not pitch well enough for him to be get that get that call. If there aren't any options for him, Mike Rizzo is not going to force the issue. At least not until probably September when the rosters expand a little bit. That's true. You might need a couple. You, you know, might you, need, you know? Could they see? What if it's in June and you have like a double header that you need someone to cover? Could that be the time where he gets called? It, you're right. It does depend a lot on the state of the major league team in terms of roster and scheduling. Because maybe, you know, the opportunity will just present itself where they need somebody mm-hmm. and Cavalli, you're next man up. You're a first man up from the farm system. But that would all depend. So it is interesting. I, I think we both agree. We expect to see Cade at some point this season in a Nationals uniform. Just unclear when right. because you can never really predict these there things. There has to be room for him. There has to be a position for him. I think the most important thing is this, that you don't rush him. He's yeah. your top prospect. He is going to be an anchor in your rotation, or you hope he is going to be in the future. You can't rush him. You can't hurt his development. Um, so it's going to have to be the, the right timing um, for Cade. You can't just throw him in there because you need a spot start or something like that, and I don't intend that they will. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I agree. I don't think that they will rush him just for the sake of mm-hmm. rushing him and putting him at uh, the major league roster. Let's move on to the guy who was drafted in the first round the year before Cade, 
Jackson Rutledge, formerly the number one overall prospect in this farm system, now down to number three overall, 22-year-old right-handed pitcher, uh, the 17th overall pick in the 2019 draft out of uh, San Jacinto in Texas. This guy's a little bigger than Cade, 6'8", 245. Injuries has been the story for Jackson Rutledge. There's no need to put throw out the terms bust or can't do it, can't make it just yet. Again, he's only 22 years old, but we have not. It's hard to see these guys, Cade and, and Jackson being, you know, so often grouped in the same position. And then you see Cade take off and Jackson gets kind of left behind because of those injuries. It is a little frustrating, I'm sure, for Jackson as well. Yeah, I mean, Jackson Rutledge has kind of been injury city, was on the I.L twice this year i think he missed all of june Mm -hmm. um with shoulder issues and then he went or all of may maybe and then he missed part of june with that hand blister blister yep yeah he's had some issues but he made 13 only 13 starts across three different teams in the system um this past season he made two starts for the florida complex league seven for low a fredericksburg and four for high a wilmington so he's definitely not where the nationals want him in his development at this time and most of that has to do with injuries now of course he was one of the guys who missed the 2020 season like the rest of them and a lot of guys develop bad habits and mm. and injuries came from that and one of his things was that he was overthrowing in between outings and Max Scherzer's one of the guys who kind of helped him establish a routine because you know Scherzer knows about longevity yep. um, and so he was one of the guys who had kind of helped them and I think once he established a better routine in between outings he found some success he found some success at the end of the season um, and then and in that championship game in the Arizona Fall League he found some success too so yeah. Upswing at the towards the end of the year, but injuries at the beginning of the year, not so good. Yeah, he was limited to 36 and one-third innings in the minor league season. But we talked about earlier, and you can go back and listen to that podcast, uh, recapping the Arizona Fall League, because the Nationals did have a lot of representation in that league in uh, the fall. But he... The ERA doesn't stick out in just uh, six games in the Arizona Fall League, so kind of throw that out. You can't really. But the 17 strikes out looks good. You mentioned that appearance in the championship game. He pitched well, and I think he covered like over three innings in that game as well out of relief. Um, he's a little further along, one, because he was a pitcher throughout his career in college. I think even back into high school. Um, then Cade, in terms of his command, his fastball isn't as high. He, I think, tops out in the mid-90s as of right now. He gets a lot of spin on it, though, which scouts seem to like. Um, but, but he commanded more in the strike zone, so he's locating pitches a little bit better. He has a clear secondary pitch in his slider, something that Kay does not have mm-hmm. yet. Um, so in terms of uh, development, if it weren't for injuries, Jackson would be a little further along than Kay, maybe even ranked higher than Kay Cavalli. I think Kay Cavalli's eventual ceiling is higher than Jackson Rutledge, but that doesn't mean Jackson Rutledge can't fill in as a mid to lower, mm-hmm. you know, rotation starter uh, for the nationals. Um, I, I, yeah, it's just the injuries. The shoulder is a, a big issue. I pit blisters must be the most frustrating injuries for pitchers mm-hmm. because, you know, you think about any other fielding position, position player, you can get by with a blister, but as a pitcher, you really need that hand and that grip of the ball to, to be able to do what you can do on the mound. So, yeah, it's just a frustrating year for Jackson. I don't know if we see him in 2022 just because he's so far behind. You know, if he had a normal 2020 season and did not have as much injury history this past year as he did, yeah, we'd probably be talking about him making a similar debut timeline as Kate Cavalli. I just think the Nationals are going to want to see him get a full year Get those innings up. That's what he really needs. Innings and experience before he even gets to sniff. Again, he hasn't pitched above high single-A Wilmington. Let's get him a double-A, triple-A first, and I I think he'll be a candidate for a 2023 appearance. Right. I mean, you can't work on locating pitches when you're not pitching, Um, and that's his problem. He has that good fastball. He has that fastball-slider combo, which is one of the reasons the Nationals were so high on him coming out of San Jack. Um, The slider improved throughout 2021, but he's still having some trouble locating that, Um, but that's his true second pitch, and then he needs to develop a third pitch, which is either going to be his curveball or changeup, which I think he has a little bit more confidence in his curveball, but he needs to develop that third pitch. So 2022 is going to be really telling. He has to stay healthy. We're 
I can't imagine we see him up up in the bigs in 2022, but it's going to be a big year of development for him. And I think 2022 might determine whether we see him in this Nationals rotation in the future or if he might end up in this bull, bullpen long term. Yeah, that'll it, it, be an interesting change of pace, too, especially since they definitely drafted him as a starter mm-hmm. back in 2019. Um, I for the record, MLB Pipeline has his ETA for this season, and I think you and I both disagree with that assessment mm-hmm. just because of the injury history. Now, is it possible that he could stay healthy and have a Kay Cavalli-like rise up the ranks? Of course, sure. I mean, he seems to have the stuff the Nationals seem to think highly of him if he can stay healthy and get those innings under him. But then you run into the same question that we just talked about with Kay. Is it worth it? Because you're going to need him to be pitching that well at a high level through probably at least July. And then you get to August, September, and it's like, well, is it even worth him uh, pitching in the major leagues if he's quote-unquote ready enough? I mean, I don't think he will be, but if he is, that's a tough question to ask. And also keep in mind, this is actually interesting that just came out right before we went online. It's not that much of a difference, but for pitchers, it probably plays a difference. Minor League Baseball is adding six games to the end of the AAA season. Their their season's now going to be 150 games. If... Jackson Rutledge can work his way up to the Rochester rotation. That gives him probably one, if not two, more starts before the end of the season. And like we just said, that's what he needs, experience in innings. Hopefully mm-hmm. he builds his arm up enough where he's going deep into games, and that could be more of an experience better suited for him than reaching the major leagues like it would be for Kate Cavalli. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that he said after the 2021 season was that when he wasn't going into deep, deep into games, he felt so much better. Yeah. Um, and if you're going to be a starter at the major league level, you have to go deep into games. Now, obviously part of that is the fact that he was injured most of the season. So of course, the less you pitch, the better your shoulder is going to feel or the better your blister is going to feel. Um, but he has to get a full regular healthy season because he hasn't played a full regular healthy season since the beginning of college. Yeah. Yeah, so at, at a, at a, albeit a good program, but it's still a, uh, right. commu- uh, not community. Because he had the hip issues in, in college. It's true. So he, <laughs> he's got to get it together. It's yeah. sink or swim time here. Um, he's only twenty two, but he's twenty two. So yeah. it's time to. Yeah. Get that hopefully there, the rest that he, I mean, he did pitch in the Arizona fall, like we said, but hopefully the rest and kind of reset and this offseason. Like he, he has the stuff. And if you look at him, like you watch him pitch, he's six, eight, but he has this power and like such an easy delivery. Like yeah. it's fun to watch him pitch mm. when he does. Yeah. You've seen him. I haven't seen him yeah. in person. You've seen him in person because yeah. you went and down he, to Fredericksburg to see yeah. him. For as big as he is, his delivery is just so easy. He just has to stay healthy. Yeah. That six, eight frame is something that will play really nicely on a major mm-hmm. league mound if he gets to that point. So hopefully he will. Right below him on the on the rankings is Andrew Lara. He's only 19 years old, so this is a kid we probably won't see this year, uh, maybe not even next year. But the Nationals think very highly of him. He was a 2019 international signing out of Venezuela. He's 6'4", only 180, so still has a lot of growing to do. You know, you think that he's like between the – he's the same height as Kay Cavalli, mm-hmm. but – um, 50 pounds lighter. So he still needs a lot of filling out to do. Um, he pitched only as high as low single A this year. Um, pitched well. It just needs more. It's same kind of thing as, as Rutledge. Needs more time. Needs more innings. We're not going to see him in 2022, but we could possibly see him maybe then crop up the list in 2023. Um it's a it's a longer timeline for Lara compared yeah. to the first two guys. Exactly. He's only 19 in his development. He's still developing and trying to situate his repertoire, but he does have that fastball that tops out in the high 90s. It gets good spin. He's just trying to evolve his breaking ball, which they haven't even been able to really classify as a slider right. or curveball because it's moving so much. Uh, so it's developing his, his repertoire. He has a lot of growth to do, but he's only 19, and the Nationals are high on where he could end up. Yep, nine games, seven starts with the rookie level of Florida Coast League Nationals, and then he had two starts at single-A Fredericksburg near the end of the season where he struck out five but walked eight. So command, obviously, mm-hmm. an issue. Um, you talked about those off-speed pitches. That's We don't know what they are yet, but you also <laughs> know we do know they need to work on his command with them yeah. um, because 19 years old, I mean, he's still so young. I mean, plenty of time for him. It's just not a candidate for 2022. Right, I think we're looking at – Probably 2024 for him. I'll hopefully say at the latest. Yeah, maybe 2023 yeah. Um, sometime, but 
just depends on his how his development goes and how quickly he's able to grow. Yeah, if you're the, if you're watch listening to this or hopefully you're watching this and you're listening to these names, that's a name if you're going to be focusing a lot on the minor league system this year, that's a name to focus on for the future future. Mm-hmm. Obviously you have your Cavallis and your Rutledges, but this that's a young kid name that you're not going to see up at the major league rest, roster this year, but you should keep an eye on the major on the minors to see how well he progresses because this could be a very big I think he'll eventually, I think he turns 20 later this year. So his age 20 season, he will be, uh, you know, hopefully showing a lot of progression, getting to the higher levels uh, of the, the Nationals farm system. And just two weeks ago, when we were talking about some of the most successful or most important international signings in the organization, he's one of those guys on the list that will be interesting to follow and can mm. determine where the Nationals are right now on success in that market. Yeah, and then here's a guy that is fresh to the uh, system. We just saw... Uh, only a couple months of him in the national system. Gerardo Carrillo, number six, really ranked prospect per MLB pipeline. He's 23-year-old right-hander. He was signed out of the Mexican League by the Dodgers in 2016 and then, of course, was a part of that package for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner in July. Um, he went pitched at double-A the entire season, um, obviously coming over and then pitching with Harrisburg. Um Overall, went three and seven with a four seven six, 108 strikeouts, um, in just 23 games, 22 starts combined. But his numbers at Harrisburg weren't as impressive. 0 and five record, 681 ERA, just 38 strikeouts, and a WHIP over 1600, um, and eight starts with Harrisburg. So he struggled in a change of scenery, going from the Dodgers system to the National system. But he's got a fastball that can top 100. The question really here is where the Nationals foresee him being as a whether or not they see him as a starter or as a late relieving arm because the Nationals kind of see him filling on that profile as well. Mm-hmm. That'll be interesting to see. Obviously, the numbers weren't there in Harrisburg this year, but you know, you coming in the middle of the season, you're trying to f- finish things out. Um, people in the organization say that he is fun to watch. He has a live arm like Laura. He has that sinker slider, which makes a sinker and slider, which makes a good combo. Like you mentioned that fastball topping out in the triple digits. So there's potential there. It's just where he's going to fit into this organization and how long it takes him to get there. He's 23. So a little bit older than these other guys that we were talking about, but Potential. I mean, he, he, he finished the season in Harrisburg, so probably going to start there and maybe potential to make his debut in 2023, just figuring out where that might be. 2023 is, uh, yeah, that's interesting. But it also, because it, it, that goes back to where the Nationals will eventually see him as part of their future because he was brought up fully as a starter in the Dodgers system. Mm-hmm. He only started in the National system, but now some people think that he can make that transition to a reliever because he isn't as physically imposing as the two guys, we, the three guys we just talked about. He's only 5'10", 170 at 23. You mentioned he's the oldest so far of the bunch, right. and he's the smallest as well. So that build might not suit so well. Now, of course, we've seen smaller guys have really great careers as, as starters, but typically they go into the bullpen and become late inning arms because you need him in short bursts, no pun intended. Um <laughs> A lot of scouts really like his mental makeup. <laughs> you just got <laughs> You just got A lot of scouts like his mental makeup. He's very competitive on the mound. He's very enthusiastic. Um, so if he can throw strikes consistently, that might suit him better as a reliever. And then that would tie into, well, maybe we'll see. I think we're going to see a lot more guys making their debuts as relievers this year outside of Cavalli, because obviously he'll be a starter, mm-hmm. than starters, because I think the Nationals will figure out a way to cover starts um, in unconventional ways, using an opener. Well, you, we obviously don't know if they're going to be able to sign um, any free agents or, or uh, veterans to minor league deals, what have you. Um, so I think a lot of these younger guys that are getting experience as um, relievers are going to be more likely to break the roster this year because I think they're going to need more help in the bullpen than the rotation. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. That's a great way. I mean, he's they're not projecting him to be a big part of this rotation in the future. So if he fits into this bullpen and he can find success in shorter outings in the bullpen, then that will be a perfect fit for him. So this year is going to be a lot of figuring out where he has potential to play at the big league level and just working, you know, on his development in this system. Also should note that Carrillo is also currently on the 40 man roster. So that would be an easy transition if they did need him, uh, need to add to the active roster, uh, for whatever situation that 
they would need him for. Um, all right, moving on. Let's kind of round up the uh, the top 10. There's two more guys. This is a name that Nationals fans are probably very familiar with. Cole Henry, 22-year-old right-hander. He was the first pick after Cavalli in that shortened 2020 draft out of LSU. Big kid, 6'4", 215. He pitched as high as triple, uh, sorry, excuse me, single A, high single A, and his ETA is scheduled to be not this year, but next year. But this is a guy that the Nationals are also expecting a lot of. He's kind of under the radar. I think Mark Zuckerman even wrote a full post about him, how he's flown under the radar because of the Rutledges and the Cavallis. Um, but they think highly of this guy, and they could see him being a part of their rotation, maybe not next year, but in the years in the years down the line because he does profile well as a starter. Yeah, I mean, and I like Cole Henry a lot, and the Nationals are high on him. He got a big bonus um, in that second-round pick back in 2022 behind Cavalli, and he had – a really good 2021. Uh, he didn't finish the year with, with elbow soreness, but his ERA was just under two and nine appearances, eight of those starts at high A. So I could definitely see him starting in double A this year. And maybe you see him as soon as the middle of 2022. I think um, as far as after Cavalli, he's probably the highest on this list, um, probably the next to make his debut. But. And that, yeah, and that goes back to Rutledge not having enough innings at higher levels. Um, but the Nationals believe that Henry will be part of the next big three with Cavalli and Rutledge mm-hmm. um, because they profile so well. He doesn't have the natural stuff that the other two guys do, but it seems he's more developed across the board on all of his pitches. His fastball sits well at 94. His curveball has a late break on it. Changeup fades pretty well. He has a good arsenal. I mean, if you look at the overall prospect, let's just say Cavalli and Rutledge are top heavy. Cole Henry is more... Mm-hmm kind of stretched out and is more overall developed. He's not as highly rated overall, but he's just better at smaller areas of his arsenal than the other two guys, which makes him suit well for, you know, a mid to late rotation arm. Right. And he's also one of the guys that shined in the Arizona fall league that we talked about 30 strikeouts, which was the second most of any pitcher. So he's finding some success. It'll be, Good to see him healthy again and see how he does, but I think you could see him sooner rather than later. He pounds the high up part of the zone with his four-seamer and his Mm two-seam fastball has a lot of sync to it, so the Nationals like that he's able to use both kinds of his fastball um, in different situations. Um, Also a guy with injury issues. You talked about it a little bit briefly, but he had um, a lot of injuries back in 2018 and 2019, Um, so he's still trying to build his way away from that. And so if he adds more innings under his belt this year, that'll be a good kind of I'm done. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm myself now again, and, and I can go out and pitch and be a part of a full season team and, and rotation and get my innings underneath me. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, number 10 guy, Aldo Ramirez. This is the uh, pitcher that came back in the trade with the Red Sox for Kyle Schwarber. He was a 20 inter- 2018 international signing out of Mexico by the Red Sox. He's 20 years old. On the smaller side, again, six foot 161. He uh, pitched at low single A for Boston this past season, um, and his estimated time of arrival is 2023. He only pitched with the Florida Coast League with the Nationals this past season in only four games. ERA was high. Not too much of a track record, so it's kind of hard to gauge anything from his stats uh, with when he, once he entered the national system this year. But obviously the Nationals felt high enough on him to go get him. Um, some scouts must like what they saw with his work up in Boston's farm. Uh, because they gave up Kyle Schwarber for him. Mm, exactly. Came over, only made two starts there in the Florida Complex League. ERA over eight across those seven innings. So small sample size. Numbers re- really aren't there, but he's only 20, and they really like what they see. He's one of the most advanced young pitchers, they say, in this system. His velocity is continues to trend up. They said he has really good command for being just 20 years old. So I think the 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 ceiling is, is high there for him. Um, but you probably won't see him till 2024 at, yeah. at the earliest. He's been said to have a really clean delivery and is able to repeat that. That's something that scouts really like to see with young pitchers being able to consistently throw the same type of pitch um, and the same kind of motion, sticking to those fundamentals. Um, he has a solid fastball curve could, and a curve has a, a good chance. Changeup is could be a plus pitch for him to play off that fastball. It's, it's again, one of those, it's too early to tell not only when he would debut, but where he will slide in. Um, but I think you, you look at these guys, we've talked about this before, guys that the Nationals have scouted and, and said that you're worth bringing in and giving a shot at. And um, so 
I can't spend too much time on him because he just didn't do enough in the system, especially down at the FCL. It's hard to like keep track of what he's doing down there. So let's see him hopefully break single high single A, low single A's this year, mm-hmm. get a couple of innings with Wilmington or Fredericksburg, and then we'll see have a have a more better idea of what the Nationals envision for him down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. We're getting out of the top 10 now. There's a handful of names still left to go through. Let's kind of go through some of the names quickly who Nationals fans will probably be most familiar with. Starting with number 12 prospect, Matt Cronin, our first left-hander. He's 24 years old, a 2019 fourth-round pick out of Arkansas, 6'2", 195. He pitched a double-A, as high as double-A last year, and is expected to make a debut this year. Mm -hmm. Um, He's one of these arms that, also kind of projects that could possibly be a bullpen arm as opposed to a starter. Um, it could be a long relief arm, maybe late inning guy. Uh, the Nationals haven't yet to make that decision yet on him. But again, 24 years old, he could be here sooner than rather than later. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, pretty much at this point a set reliever. He relieved in college, and now in this system, he's been pretty much strictly a reliever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it will be interesting to see what big of an impact he makes in this bullpen whether he will be a a long arm out of the bullpen or maybe he'll be um who knows a closer before it's all said and done um but projected to make his debut by the end of this year i think that's pretty on track he finished the year in double a harrisburg uh he went 0-1 with a 556 era in his 10 games there so probably started in double a maybe triple a um and is expected to make his debut this this year Two pitch guy, obviously with the fastball in the mid nineties and a what's called a twelve to six curveball for him. Those are his main arsenals. Uh, some scouts believe that both of those pitchers are almost major league ready, especially that fastball because it can get so high in the nineties um, and, and has some life on it, some back action to it. So bullpen arm, like we said, most likely he had some good numbers uh, as he got to double A. The strikeouts were there, but also the walk. So, again, a point of emphasis is going to be command, control. Can he keep the ball in the zone? Um, if you're going to be a late-inning guy, you can't throw walks. How much? How many times did we see Nationals relievers this past season struggle with location, put guys on base when you really can't afford to do that in tough situations? So another point of emphasis being location for a young guy. But here's a 24-year-old, also our first left-hander. We talked about the Nationals' lack of lefties in the bullpen about last year possibly coming up this year as well. So if they might need a left-handed guy, Cronin could be one of the first guys Mm -hmm. up just because they need some options. They need other options as opposed to all righties. Yep, and then coming in at number 13 is Tim Kate. He's kind of fallen off a little bit. He was a 2018 second-round pick, and he struggled a little bit in double-A this year, finished the year with an ERA over five in his 21 outings there. He's a smaller guy. He's not overpowering with his fastball, but they do say that he has the best curveball in this national system. So that's what he has going for him. Um kind of unsure about his projection probably not this year uh but he's kind of was a little bit higher and it seems like we're talking about him less and less yeah less and less he's been falling back and forth like 24 years old he was the nationals 2019 minor league pitcher of the year and he was a tommy john guy out of high school so you know we know how much the nationals love tommy john guys and we know that he's been in the system and has produced at a high level to be awarded that you know, title of, of minor league pitcher of the year. Um, you talk about his projection. It's it's at best. I mean, I don't want to say it that way. I guess it is. That's the only way I can say it. At <laughs> best, he's a back end starter. At worst, he could be a, a multi inning reliever for you guys. It's a, a guy that come out of the bullpen could possibly give you an emergency start. Could possibly be your opener. He has some versatility to him because he's done a little bit of both wherever he's gone. Um, he's got a three pitch mix that works out well. Um, I have this changeup. He de- just developed back in 2020 at the alternate site. So that's a new pitch that's working for him. Location is also, uh, of course, a concern, but, you know, he can throw strikes. So when he throws strikes, he's on, and that's obviously a useful Mm -hmm. tack for a pitcher. Yep, and then at number 15 is Mitchell Parker. He was a fifth-round pick back in 2020 out of San Jacinto also. He's... For of you know being a fifth round pick, the Nationals are pretty high on this guy, and I think they think that he can be a big league starter with his with his stuff. He's only twenty one, so he has time to develop. But he had a 
full healthy season in 2021, over 101 innings, which was among the most in this system. He spent time between single A Fredericksburg and Wilmington, and May was kind of his month. He In his fourth start of the year, he went six innings and gave up just one hit, no runs. Then he came back the next outing and threw six hitless and didn't give up any runs again. And one of the things that the Nationals, these, these coaches, these pitching coaches like about him specifically is that he's able to make quick pitch, yeah. make quick, make quick adjustments and quick fixes. And when you're developing and you're that young and you can make quick fixes, each outing keeps getting better and better and your development's going to speed along. So I think this is guy 6'4", 225. He, he has the build to be a starter. He has the stuff to be a starter. Um, he's just young, but his development is moving along quickly. Yeah, he's been, you talk about you know, quick fixes. He also doesn't need to make too many fixes. The Nationals like that he has, like, once again, another guy with a repeatable delivery. He mm-hmm. sticks with it consistently. Um, he throws strikes at a high rate. That helps him keep that projection as a starter because he can throw strikes at a high rate. Um, but he does have a good two-pitch combo with a fastball and a curveball that works off it. So that plays well into a possible bullpen role if he needs to transition to that that role um, someday. The, not any decisions need to be made. His ETA, like you said, isn't for another couple of years. Uh, but another draft pick, he was the last pick in that shortened 2020 mm-hmm. draft for the Nationals out of Arkansas. Uh, of course, a pitcher. Um, some good underlying numbers there uh, that say that he still have a pretty good high ceiling. It just depends on how he kind of fills out in his pro career. Evan Lee, the number 21 overall prospect in the system. He's also currently on the 40-man roster, 24-year-old left-hander out of Arkansas. Another guy out of Arkansas, 6'1", 200 pounds. Um, he pitched as high as high single A this year with Wilmington. Also an Arizona Fall League guy. But all of those games in the Arizona Fall League were out of the bullpen, whereas at single A Wilmington, he made 20 starts in his 21 appearances. So interesting that he had only bullpen appearances in Arizona Fall League. And keep in mind that the Wilmington manager was also his manager in Arizona. So I wonder if that's a sign that they're looking for him to be a full-time bullpen arm. Yeah, I think that's a good good um, note there and I was surprised he didn't get promoted to double A last year mm-hmm. so maybe he will start there um, we'll kind of see but the velocity continues to improve he has an average fastball plus curveball he's a lefty um, but definitely looks like the projections are looking like he'll end up being a bullpen arm his fastball and curveball are said to be good enough where if he does move into the bullpen which some projections have him as a major league bullpen arm he should slide in pretty nicely because he has mm-hmm. a good fastball curveball combo and then the last guy we want to touch on for sure is mason denneberg and this is a guy that had his season just a year ago cut short due to tommy john surgery um he had been struggling with injuries for a while ever since he's been drafted by the nationals back in 2018 our first round pick out of high school 6'4, 195 at 22 years old, another big guy, but he only pitched at the rookie level in 2019. He just does not have the innings quite yet to have any kind of consideration or estimated time of arrival at the major league level, I don't think. Only pitched seven professional games. Again, career ridden with injuries, but you know this is a guy the Nationals obviously think highly of because they drafted him in the first round out of high school back in 2018. It seems like all we talk about with these guys <laughs> who are all first-rounders mostly um, are injuries, injuries, injuries. So, yeah, the jury's still out on this guy. He's only pitched 20 innings since being drafted, and whether, I mean, he has the potential to be a starter Obviously, that's the hope with him, but he's a long way off when he's only made seven appearances in rookie ball so far in his time with the Nationals. Um, He has a good fastball, his potential for his curveball to be elite, um, but he just has to, to get healthy, and then the Nationals can evaluate what they have with him. So long way off, maybe 2024, we'll see Mason Dinneberg. The, uh, the Tommy John is may, could possibly turn out to be a good thing for him. Uh, I know he just missed out an entire season, what would have been his second full season, not counting 2020. Um, but he dealt with tendonitis issues as a senior in high school when he was drafted. He had other shoulder issues once he entered the pro. So they're hoping, and of course the Nationals have a long history of success with guys who have undergone Tommy John. They're hoping that, that just, that's a cure-all right there. That fixes the tendonitis. That fixes any shoulder issues that he has. Um, so it's kind of a fresh start for Mason, hopefully in 2022 just needs to build up those innings and kind of fall back into place when he was when the Nationals drafted him now three years ago um, and and maybe work his way back. Because when he was drafted, I mean, the Nationals farm system wasn't what it is today. Mm-hmm. 
but he was a pretty highly regarded prospect. I think he was even as high as top 10 at one point. Now he's fallen back to outside the top 20 due to injuries. So that's not necessarily any of his doing. It's just unfortunate luck for him. If he can get back pitching full time and that Tommy John surgery was a cure all for the little nagging things he had going on for him, maybe we'll see him kind of jump back up the list mm -hmm, by midseason. The risk you, you take when you not only draft a pitcher so high, but you draft a pitcher with injury history so so high, oftentimes it comes back and it lingers into their professional career. Um, so it could this could be a big miss for the Nationals. It's just we don't really know yet. And like you said, it could be good for him. Um, a lot of guys missed that 2020 season. Unfortunately, now we're, it's been, we're two years out from seeing Mason right. Denneberg pitch. So, yeah. And for him seeing them out, I think he like even tweeted – Hmm, was it end of last season or this offseason? Like, back on the mound feels good or something like that. You know, it's like, all right, good. That's mm -hmm. a good first step. Get back on the mound, throw some catch. So he's back on track to be ready by spring training whenever we get underway mm -hmm. with that. All right, so that's going to do it for our pitching prospects and their potential debuts. Again, a lot of guys that we could see up on the major league roster this year, a handful of guys, most likely probably that would be in a bullpen relief. And with the Kate Cavalli, Jackson Rella situation, it's just a matter of what the, the major league roster is going to call for and what kind of situations David Martinez's club finds itself throughout the course of a, a long, hopefully full 162 game season. Once it gets underway next couple of weeks, assuming the lockout's still going on, We'll probably touch on some position players on the Nationals farm system and see when they're projected to come up. That's a little more difficult because the Nationals aren't in too much of a need in position players right now. They have a way bigger need with pitching, and we know how much they love building around pitching. But still, there's you know that's a part of the Nationals farm system that needs to be revamped as well. Some interesting guys that can play in the position. There, uh, I think there are that that bunch is a lot more further along. Sorry, further away than the pitchers are, just because a majority of their position prospects are so much younger mm -hmm. we, yeah younger and we talk about it i mean we're when we're talking about uh like middle infield prospects yeah we're like oh who's gonna come yeah, up exactly. like there's there's really nobody ready but um their development's going to be key, key and it'll be fun to look at their projections as well because the focus is on the farm system now um a lot of the focus like you just said is on these pitchers yeah. so and, and they also don't forget the nationals signed a handful of veteran infielders Infielders. Exactly. I mean, they have plenty of outfielders, but infielders, mm -hmm. too, to minor league deals that once the lockout ends, we expect them to be yeah. <laughs> competing for jobs on the major league roster. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Mass and All Access podcast. Thank you so much for making us a part of your Thursday afternoon. If you're watching us live, be sure to hit that like button and subscribe. But if not, you're catch catching us after the fact on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and or SoundCloud. Big shout out to Brendan Mortensen for his help behind the scenes. You can give Amy a follow at Amy Jennings News on Twitter. I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you next week.